guys just pray with me a minute? Dear God, thank you for how you love us. Thank you for leaving the 99 behind to come and chase after the lost. Thank you for sending your son to die a painful and horrible death on our account. I pray, God, that as me and the students get up on stage today and we share your love, Lord, that we can be empowered by you, that we can be your hands and your feet, and that we can share your love, Lord. And this is thanks in your precious and holy name. Amen. I cried during first service and figured out how difficult it was to wipe tears away with a headset mic on. Um, and it didn't get any easier second service. <laughs> um, but I am just so excited to be here today and to be able to share with you guys not only what's been on my heart, but also to have our students share what's been on their hearts as well. Um, so without further ado, I want to invite Isabel Hernandez. And then, uh, you can take that one. So we did a lot of really fun stuff this summer, and uh, we went to pool parties, we played slip and slide kickball, I almost hurt myself. It was a great time. Um, and we did one thing during the summer that was really powerful for me um, and powerful for our students. We went to a Christian camp called Delanco Camp. It's a camp that's been really important to Dave Hallahan. It's a camp that's been important to my fiance Mackenzie, and it's something that's kind of become really important to me as well. Um, but I have never been a, count, a uh, student at camp. I've never been a camper before, so I wanted to bring a professional camper on the stage with me to just sort of explain what on earth Delanco Camp is. Hi. So this is Isabel, and we're just going to... I have a couple of questions for you. So first off... What is Delanco Camp? Okay, Delanco Camp is a Christian camp that helps weave God through like every moment while you're over there. Mm. And from the morning all the way to like 12.30 in the morning <laughs> while kids are like huddling at your butt. I meant <laughs> at, your, <laughs> at your bunk. Um, but basically, yeah. I can't believe I just said that. It's not the whole entire <laughs> church. I did not mean to say that. It's okay. Uh, God forgives. No. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's just a really awesome opportunity for God to be a part of everything all day long. Um, so what was your favorite part, other than the bunks? What was your favorite part? <laughs> Hold on, give me a second. Um, my favorite part of camp was um, when we had... <laughs> When we had the, we have a gazebo. I don't have a gazebo. They have a gazebo, and then there's a shop, like a snack shop, where you can buy Slim Jims, and you get the Slim Jims, and you can go fishing off the gazebo with the Slim Jim bait. And there's turtles in the water, so you have to, like, kind of be careful of the turtles because, like, you have to watch, like, very intensely. That's what makes it fun than any other fishing. Um, but basically, one of my friends caught a turtle, and I grabbed the turtle and sat there for, like, 20 minutes as they, like, got a hook out of the turtle. And it was, I'm sorry, it was just really funny. Like, <laughs> saying that they were all laughing at me. And I'm sitting here, like, what the heck? I, I'm holding a turtle. Why this? And then Jeremy, who's our speaker, he came and, like, just took it out. And I was, okay, 
Yeah. So Isabel, future veterinarian, as we can all see. Um, so what was your kind of camp experience like throughout the week? Um, my experience, it was really amazing. It was really fun all around. Like, as I said, they weaved God through every single moment. And it wasn't just like any other camp where we have to sit and we just have to listen to a guy read a Bible. No, it was really fun. They had Gaga Ball. Gaga Ball is fun. They it had, is quite good. Yeah. And it was all like revolved around God. And it was just an amazing experience. Yeah, I think one of the things that's important to us as like a youth group is to remind us that like faith can be fun. Like, it's not boring. Um, and I think Delanco Camp is a place where that's really shown. Um, so I heard that you had a moment on Thursday. It's a good yeah. moment. Um, could you, do you think you could share it with the class? Yeah, so basically, um, hi class. Um, <laughs> we, Jeremy, who again is our speaker, at night chapel on Thursday, as Dan said, it was the, he like saved 30 minutes, a chunk of time, and he dimmed the lights. And he said, we're, gonna have, we're just going to sit here and we're going to have a moment with God. And the altars were open, or you could just sit at the pews. I stayed at the pews. I am not an altar person. Um, and I sat there and I prayed, and I just felt a wave of forgiveness from God mm. for, like, all my sins. I just felt like he was sitting right next to me. Mm. And it happened the next day. Mm. And it was just really amazing, and I loved it a lot. And Yeah. yeah. Wow, like, that's a pretty, that's a good moment. I... I remember Thursday night, just so you guys know, camp is sweaty. That's important to this story. Camp is very sweaty and uncomfortable. And throughout that whole day, I had been sweaty and uncomfortable. And Mackenzie comes up to me, and she goes, Dan, uh, I saw Isabel crying in, uh, the, during the altar call. And she said that she just felt Jesus like come over her and that wave of forgiveness. And I was like, it's all worth it. And I think that like, we forget like, that's what these places are for. To, to provide an opportunity for students to really genuinely encounter Jesus. Um, so it definitely made my week. Um, so, Isabel, what would you say to somebody who's maybe on the fence about going to Delanco? Don't go. I'm, I'm, just <laughs> I'm playing. Definitely, definitely go. Um, it was just an amazing experience all around. Uh, totally God-driven. Everything was revolved around God the whole entire way. Again, from morning all the way till night games at 1230 in the morning. And it was just so much fun, and God was there every step of the way, and I really loved it. So I say definitely go. Well, you guys heard it from the professional, so definitely go check out Don't Like Co Camp. And thank you so much for sharing, Isabel. If you could put that yeah. Um, I just, I remember I asked, after I'd heard about this kind of encounter that Isabel had, I was like, man, we got to get her up on stage on Youth Sunday. So I talked to her, and I was like, hey, I know you've never been on stage before, and stage fright, and all that stuff, but would you mind coming up? And she said, yeah, of course. And I just love the eagerness that she had and the desire to come up and share just a real genuine moment um, and experience that she had. One of the cool parts about Delanco Camp, uh, in addition, obviously, to encountering Jesus Christ, is this way that we kind of spend time with other churches and we get to see other Christians that exist and teens get to realize that, hey, there's more than Hope Christian Fellowship and it gives us a chance to see that the family of God is a lot bigger. Um, and we have another opportunity to present students with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ this September and I wanted to kind of give somebody who has the experience who's been on this retreat before the chance to share a little bit about it so I'm going to ask longtime retreat goer and fiance of mine Mackenzie to come up and share.
Hello. So I got told I talked way too fast during first service, so I'm going to try and talk slower. I'm just very excited. Though Dan stole like half my points. He took my things for service. He's like, oh, I'll just use those again. He's always like, mystery is just theft. <laughs> Rude. Okay. So anyway, um, so what I'm going to be talking about, as Dan kind of mentioned, is we are taking our youth group on a retreat to Ocean City in the middle of September. So originally, this is Youth Sunday. We are going to have one of our children come up and talk about this. And then me and Dan were sitting there and going, you know, there's been this thing, COVID. So none of our kids have actually been on Ocean City Retreat. And then I went to Ocean City Retreat when I was in youth group, like back then, a long time ago. So I was like, oh, I could talk about it. Now, I didn't grow up going to Hope. I went to another church in South Jersey about 20 minutes from here. But the same Ocean City retreat we're taking our kids on is the retreat I went on. We actually went with Hope, so Dave was there, and then my youth pastor was there. So it's kind of cool how God works that, whatever, eight years ago I was going on this retreat, and now me and Dan are going to get to go and take our kids. I'm going to kind of step into that leadership role. But as much as I could talk about it from that kind of leadership role, I do want to talk about it as a student and when I was going there. And I think Ocean City was something I look forward to every single year. Like, that and Delanco were the two things I couldn't wait for. Like, Delanco was the thing you did in the summer, and then people would be like, what are you looking forward to in the school year? I'd be like, Ocean City Retreat. Not anything about school, just Ocean City Retreat. But I think it's really cool that we go on this retreat at the beginning of the year because it kind of sets students up for success. It sets them up to, I remember as a student, I'd go and be like, okay, I'm going to really focus on God and would kind of set my heart and mindset to back to school and the attitudes I should have with my friends around me. So I kind of just wanted to talk about like that a little bit, but also kind of like the threefold kind of like heart behind Ocean City. So the first one, and this is kind of the goal always, is like to encounter Jesus, right? Kind of what Isabella was saying, like we want people to come and get away from the things that are going on and spend time with God. I mean, me and Dan wouldn't be doing youth ministry if that wasn't something that mattered to us. So that's always our goal, that there's this place where you can go at the beginning of the year, you can get away. I think it's also really special. Our youth group is kindergarten to 12th, not kindergarten, oh, sixth grade to 12th grade. See, no one can talk now, but I think it's really cool that we're taking our high schoolers with us, and it's just them, and it'll be a place where they can really kind of like connect as a group. Also, we can talk on a little bit more of a mature level than we might on a normal Sunday night. So that's the first part. The second part, and Isabel kind of touched on this, it's fun. Like, retreats are not you just go and you sit around and read your bible but we have fun we go on the boardwalk every day we give the kids like time and we're like okay you guys can go on the boardwalk go ride the rides eat pizza it's usually less crowded because people are back in school um we play games where we live at this really cool retreat center and so like there's basketball and we play all kinds of crazy youth group games and you stay up so it's a lot of fun and as dan kind of mentioned earlier it's important to show that like Faith and fun can coexist, that they can live together, that youth group and church doesn't just have to be like sitting around and memorizing verses. It's not just this list of rules you have to accomplish, but it can be fun while also being serious. We can joke around, but then when it's time to open God's word, we take God's word seriously, and those things can coexist together. So that's the second thing, I think. And if I'm thinking back to my experience when I went to Ocean City Retreat, that's the thing that sticks out, the fun things. Um, I told them in first service when I was in youth group and youth group age, 
the Harlem Shake and like mob dances. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it used to be really popular. So the one year we did the Harlem Shake on the Ocean City Boardwalk, like we were like, we're gonna go. We did a whole mob dance. We got a lot of strange looks, but like we we're weird youth group kids, so we didn't care. Um, but that's something that sticks out to me. So again, this idea of like encountering Jesus, and I definitely remember things that I learned about God there, but also fun things. And then the final thing, and Dan kind of mentioned this when he was talking about Delenco, is this idea that we want to show that the church is bigger than this, that for our students, that the body of Christ does not leave, like it's not just contained within this building, but you can go out there, other churches who are also a part of like the capital C church. And I think it's really important too, the churches we're going with, they're not all the same as Hope. They're part of different denominations. They might have traditions that are different to us, but we can show that we can be unified in the body. And I think that's had an impact on my life. So when I went to college, I was part of a Christian fellowship and going to a church that was nothing like the church that I grew up in. A lot of my friends were Pentecostal, like very much like, you see how I dance? That's how all of them dance. They were like lay on the floor, pray kind of people. And then I met other people who were like Catholic and I could like know how to interact with them because of the influence that Delenco and Ocean City and other things like that had had on me. And I think it's transitioned even out of college. As I've come here and me and Dan started dating and I was coming to Hope, there was like a lot of people I knew here. I knew Dave, I knew his wife Leah, I had met Dylan and Dustin, Julian F. Like all these people I knew, which helped me feel more comfortable coming here because of it. So it's just cool, all these things that like you think, oh, it's only 72 hours. How much can happen? But like you grow closer to God, you have fun, you meet all these people. God can do such amazing work in such a short amount of time. So with all that being said, if you are youth group age, high school age, or if you know someone who's in high school who you think would like to come, the retreat is September 17th to the 19th. We are gonna, that 17th is a Friday, so we will be leaving after school around six o'clock, and then we will come back on Sunday afternoon. It'll be probably like two o'clock. It's definitely gonna be before youth group because we're still having youth group that night, so all our junior hires, don't worry. We're having something for you, but it's gonna be a super awesome time. I'm so excited. This is my first time going as like a leader and not a student, so I'm just excited for how God's gonna work through this weekend. I did steal a lot from Mackenzie's speech. <laughs> um, I think that one of the awesome parts about Ocean City Retreat and Delanco Camp, for that matter, and she kind of touched on it at the end, so more ministry theft. But uh, she mentioned how we have 72 hours with the kids, right? And if you guys do a little bit of math or join me in some math doing, on Sunday nights, we spend about two hours with them a week over the course of 52 weeks, give or take. So a little over 100 hours in an entire year with your students, which might sound like a lot until you realize in one retreat we can get 72 hours. Or in one week we can get whatever seven times 24 is. And I think that that's why those places become such awesome opportunities for students to encounter Christ. Because they are around Jesus and they're around people who believe in him and they're around worship and they're around lessons and they live in that space, that community of Christ for a long stretch of time. So we really want to encourage you guys to send your students out to this retreat, to join us if you're between the uh, grades 9 and 12. 
Um, I have permission slips today with me if you want to sign up today. Um, but uh, I just think that providing opportunities to share Christ with teens is, I mean, it's why I'm, I'm here. This is why I do what I do. Um, but also I think that sharing Christ with teens is something that uh, not only I can do. Many of us can do it. And I really wanted to provide an opportunity for one of our students to share with you guys this morning, to share Jesus with you guys, to come and share a devotional thought, something that's been on our heart. So I want to invite Tori Shin up on stage. Um, I asked Tori, I pulled her aside, and I said, I want, uh, I want you to speak on stage on Sunday. You can move this right in front of me. Stand right in front of me. There you go. Um, uh, to speak on stage on Sunday morning, and she was like, okay, kind of like scared. But then the next week she came back, she had four verses, she had devotionals for each verse, and I was like, all right, Tori. So um, we picked out a couple that worked for today, and uh, I was just really impressed by not only her heart and her desire to share, but also her hardworking initiative to step up. So Tori, if you could lead us. So I'm definitely with Dan earlier. I was still wiping tears like two seconds ago from worship. Um, so as Dan said, I'm Tori Shin. Um, I'm part of Dan and Mackenzie's youth group. And recently I felt a lot more dedicated to learning about Christianity and helping others discover it. I have a lot of friends I've talked to about it all the time. Um, and I want to share two verses that I feel kind of wrap into um, today's message. My first verse is Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. We are taught at a very young age to just enjoy life and be happy and successful and live it to the fullest. We grow into this age, teenagers, and only really think about, hey, I need to be happy in order to succeed in life. Unfortunately, this thought process really blinds us from the way of the Lord, and we feel as though we need to have the sense of happiness and fulfillment, even though God's really the only element we actually need in our lives. Teens get distracted a lot and don't really turn themselves towards God anymore. And, of course, this doesn't mean that we can't have fun, but we still need to realize that he's always with us through our lives. He's always following with us, and he's always by our sides. My second verse is Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. The Lord has a plan for us at all ages, throughout our whole lives. There's no time in our lives where God cannot use us to help spread his word. We teenagers need to step up and follow through with his plan. We can bring others to our church and introduce them to God and his teachings. With us going out and presenting his teachings to others, we can spread his word and invite more and more Christians and teenagers into Christianity. The percentage of te Christian teens is really upsettingly low, but we have that chance to fix it. We are given the opportunity to bring other adolescents into faith, eventually letting them move on to do the same for others. Today we're going to be talking about sharing God's love with teens, and I just want to remind my fellow teens that we can do that too. Can, can I get an amen for that? <laughs> I think that uh, the opportunity to share Christ is the greatest blessing that we can have, and you're never too young to do that. Um, I want to start today's message uh, with a verse. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Would you guys pray with me a minute before we jump into today's message? Dear God, thank you for preparing the field, for preparing the hearts of people for us to go and share your love to them. Thank you for the students and leaders who stepped up here with me this morning and shared your love. I thank you, Lord, for this time that you have given us, this opportunity to try and receive your heart for the lost, Lord. I ask for strength and empowerment as I communicate this message, God, and that it won't be me speaking, Lord, but your words. I ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. I wanted to start with this verse, Luke 10.2, and the hope it brings because without it, today's message is hopeless. And many times today, I'm going to say the harvest is ripe, because it is. We live in a lost world, but it is a world hungry and desperate for the salvation that we know and that we have been given. Know this and hold this as we discuss today. I also want to say that as we talk about witnessing to teens, that responsibility falls on all of us. Whether you are a parent of a teen, a grandparent, an older sibling, a relative, or as Tori mentioned, a teen yourself, we all encounter this lost generation and have a calling to reach them for Jesus. 96% is the title of today's message because it is a statistic that I want to stick out to you. Recently, Barna Group pulled a test size of 13 to 18-year-olds asking what their worldview was to see how aligned teens were with the Bible's worldview. Now, it's important to clarify the questions asked were not the hotbed issues that we see on social media. There were no questions about homosexuality, abortion, politics. The questions were, is God real? What is the problem with the world? And what is the answer to that problem? Pretty foundational questions, right? And when we answer them, we end up declaring our faith. God is real. The problem with the world is us and the mistakes that we have made. And the answer, the solution, is Jesus Christ and his atoning death on the cross. When asked those questions, 4% of teens between the ages of 13 and 18 represented views that aligned with the Bible. If your math is up to snuff, or if you remember the title of today's message, that means that 96% of teens do not believe in God, do not believe that we are the cause of our problems, and do not believe that Jesus Christ is the answer. 96% of teens are wandering lost through a world mired in sin. 96% of teens are living unfulfilled with that nagging truth at the back of their heads that something is missing. 96% of teens aren't coming home to be with their true father when their lives end. Barna Group did another study asking why teens struggle to attend church and follow Christ. There were plenty of reasons, but three stood out from the rest of the pack, the three highest. I want to talk about these three reasons why Gen Z is struggling with them, 
and what we can do to speak truth in a language that they can hear. The first statistic is that 20% of teens believe science refutes much of what the Bible has to say. I feel like when I was in high school, this was a popular point of contention. Evolution was and is widely taught. And as more of the world is revealed through technology and social media, it's hard to believe in miracles we rarely see repeated today. But before we go blaming this stat on modern times, we need to recognize that at the core of this issue is something that has been around since the Garden of Eden. The world does not agree with what God has to say. The world is constantly trying to refute the Bible, offer a new way of thinking or a new approach to life. One of the enemy's biggest strategies is to create as many truths as possible, thereby obscuring the real truth of Jesus Christ. Now, just as this tactic is ancient, so too are our responses. As Christians, we tend to react to the thinking of the world in two ways. The first is to combat it. Stepping into the ring, arms flailing and verses flying in an attempt to knock out the world's belief. This may sound well and good, but in truth, people tend to get hurt along the way. The other way we respond is to step away from the conversation entirely, regarding various secondary issues as just that, unnecessary and not fundamental to the faith, and as such, to be avoided until further notice. The problem here being that for non-believers, these are the primary issues. Nothing is more important to them. So at best, we seem ignorant of a complex world. And at worst, we seem dismissive of the questions that plague our young people. Neither of these approaches will do. We must be willing to engage young people where they are, but do so without aggression or violence. I have two verses that encourage this. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 20 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The implication here is for us to understand others, to approach different ideas with grace, and a hope that the place the other person is coming from is well-intended. What if we saw teens pursuing science as a sign of their awareness that the world is bigger than they are, rather than an affront to God as creator? What if we saw a teen struggle with sexuality as a desire to fit in and be loved? What if we saw a young girl considering abortion as someone afraid and already ashamed? I'm not saying that we ought to condone, support, or excuse any of these worldly beliefs. But I am saying we should love the people who struggle with them enough to see them as more than their brokenness. And for those of us, myself included, who see some of these issues as secondary and not worth the stress, can we admit to ourselves that we're just afraid? Afraid to seem wrong, hateful, or confused? 
First, we need to realize that these questions are not obstacles to Jesus Christ, but avenues. Teens are asking big, important questions. They aren't sitting idly by, ignoring the world. They are curious and lost. And when they try to ask the questions they think will fill that hole, we fight them or ignore them. Second, all of us need to approach with humility. The world is confusing, and I will be honest, I am not a scientist. I don't need to pretend to be, nor do I need to pretend that science is pointless for God to still be true. Let's seek to understand first. Consider these questioning people as valuable and what they say as important. Then, from a place of equal footing, direct their yearning back to Christ as you have experienced him. The harvest is ripe. The second statistic I want to share is that 23% of non-believers think that Christians are hypocrites. This statistic, though a little hurtful, doesn't feel especially surprising. Not to me, at least. If anything, I'm surprised it is only the second most common barrier to non-believers. Hypocrisy is a characteristic that, if we are willing to admit, feels common, even to us at church. How many times have you seen fellow brothers and sisters fail to act as kindly, patiently, and lovingly as they claim to? How many times more do we ourselves fail that standard? I think if we are honest with ourselves, hypocrisy is nowhere more evident than in our own actions. Now, I'm not condemning anybody. We all live in fleshy bodies and struggle with sin daily. The truth is, there is no such thing as a good Christian. Because even to become one, we must realize that we are sinners and in need of God's mercy. And as we desire to do good under God's steady hand, our desire to do evil is right along there with us. None of us are perfect, nor am I saying teens need us to be perfect for them to hear us. What they need is for us to be honest and genuine. They need us to admit to our mistakes, apologize when we screw up, and show ourselves to be the works in progress that we are. Teens also see a disconnect between who we say Jesus is and how we act. I'm not saying mistakes or even patterns of sin, but rather entire attitudes. For example, we say that Jesus loves and welcomes everyone. Yet many Christians draw lines at members of the LGBTQ community, holding them at arm's length. Or maybe we say we believe in the power of mercy and its ability to change a person, yet also relish at increasingly strict and destructive prison practices. Again, I'm not saying we should condone the sinful lifestyles of these people, but don't you see the hypocrisy there? Everyone is accepted, so long as you're good enough first. God's grace can cover all sins, except, of course, crimes. When the Bible speaks of love and mercy and caring for those who are suffering, this isn't some theoretical thing. These are real people who need love, real people who need mercy, and real people who need a home. And when we exclude those people, even unbelievers can see that that is unchristlike. Teens also need to see a people changed. Sin happens. Mistakes are made. I'm not talking about that. But if you come into church on Sunday, hands raised, and deny God the other six days of the week, you have no right to wonder 
why children doubt God. Do we believe that Jesus is the way? Then follow that way. Do we believe his word is truth? Then read it daily and with sincerity. Do we believe that there is beauty and love found in the community he offers? Then step into that community, not just once a week, but daily find ways to engage with the body of Christ. Church is not a club. Church is a place where our lives are changed by Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a hobby you take up on Sunday mornings, and it isn't a chore you do to make your family happy. It is a lifestyle we step into, not out of guilt or obligation, but because we believe that it is a better life, that there is life in it, and that is what teens need to see. They don't need to see shiny, happy people. They, need, they don't need to see perfect people. They need to see changed people. They need to see that Jesus changes us. The harvest is ripe. The last statistic that I have for you is that 29% of non-believers struggle to believe a God could be good and also allow for so much evil and suffering in the world. I want to set the stage a little bit for this one. All these teens who took this survey were born after 9-11 into a world where terrorism and random acts of violence were a very real threat. Mass shootings increased at a rate of 1,100% between 2003 and 2018. Between 2013 and 2021, there have been 677 incidents of school shootings. These teens were raised during a, a massive economic recession and are in the midst of the first worldwide pandemic in over 100 years. And to top it off, due to social media and a 24-hour news cycle, teens are bombarded with these facts day in and day out. And if the world's issues weren't enough, depression is at an all-time high for adolescents, many of whom are questioning their identity, experiencing self-harm, and body image issues. This question of how could a good God tolerate an evil world is commonly called the problem of evil. And I don't have the answer, I don't think, for that today. But jokingly, I asked Mackenzie's nephew that question, what the answer to the problem of evil was, without really explaining it to him. But you know what his response was? He said, I would send a superhero. I feel like as Christians, we are pretty good at recognizing that the world is evil. But church family, we know the answer, don't we? We know that the superhero is Jesus Christ, that God sent his one and only son into a broken world to save it. Too often, though, we fail to connect these important points. Sure, we complain about the world. Sure, we say God is good. But are we living like those two things matter? Jesus didn't come to earth and say everything is fine. He came with a mission. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus quotes Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. God saw a broken world and did something about it. He sent his only son to be a sacrifice, to save the lost and bring salvation. These teens see that the world is broken too. They can't idly sit by as the world crumbles around them. And when we do sit idly by, 
we represent a God who tolerates an evil world. It doesn't just add to our hypocrisy, it gives a false message of our Lord and Savior. And whether we like it or not, we are his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Teens of this generation see the evil in the world, and their blessing, their gift from God, is their desire to change that fallen world. Do we have the same desire? Do we have God's desire to see justice come to the oppressed? Do we have God's desire to feed the hungry? Or are we content to sit idly by and simply say that God is good without doing the good that he has called us to? Because if we act like we believe that, we are poor ambassadors misrepresenting a good and perfect God who has so little tolerance for evil that he sacrificed his own son to provide a way out. So, 96% of teens are lost, wallowing in brokenness and emptiness. And if we are going to be God's hands and feet, we need to change our attitudes and our actions. We need to humbly engage teens at their level. Recognizing the questions and concerns that they have as valid and worth listening to. We need to be honest about how imperfect we are in our faith walk and stop pretending to be perfect. And instead, work on being a changed people. Lastly, we are ambassadors whether we like it or not. And we need to be sure we are accurately representing our good and perfect father. Not through perfect conduct or some magical lack of sin, but because of compassion that drives us to action. The action is simple. Sharing Jesus with one generation is the same as sharing him with any other. We are to be witnesses to his glory. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, You will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Simply share what Jesus did on earth and what he has done in your life. The harvest is ripe. Before we close today's service, I want to remind you that each of these adjustments are we. Before I became a youth pastor, Mark told me that being a teacher often only meant learning a lesson a little before you told it to others. As I researched for this, I realized my heart was in the wrong place. I realized that I wasn't loving the lost the way that God does. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We sang this morning how he loves us. That's how God loves us. That's how God loves the missing 96%. Can we love like that? Willing to go wherever he leads us in search of the lost. We're going to close this morning's message by singing the chorus to how he loves us again. We'll sing it a few times through, but when prompted, we are going to replace the word us with the word you. When we do that, I want you to think of that teen in your life, that friend or family member who you know is part of the 96%. Remember that God loves them more deeply and more personally than you ever could on your own. 
Remember that he wants them back so desperately that he gave his one and only son. And ask as you sing that God could empower us to be just as desperate, just as hopeful, and just as loving as he is. So if you guys would rise with me and sing this song. that the harvest is ripe, that it is waiting and eager for you. 